You're listening to Calvary La Habra's podcast. For more information, visit us at calvarylh.com. Thanks for listening. Well, good evening. Why don't we all stand? All right, we awake? All right, have a seat. I am so excited. Uh, I love Passion Week around here. I love what God has done with it over the years. Um, Last year was very strange. It was very, very strange. Um, our, Our sunrise service that we always have outside was like, well, we were in this weird stay-home order, and um, I remember they're like, well, what are we going to do? We can, we can come here, but most of the people are staying home. And I said, well, you know, people can't go outside, so we'll bring outside to them. So we went up in the hills and just did a full service, and um, it rained on us. It was great. And we just broadcast live early in the morning uh, just to let the body know that we're going to still celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. It was awesome. Then we came back here, and if you've had Passion Week with us, uh, you know that the whole week is building towards Resurrection Sunday. It starts with Palm Sunday and all, all of what you just saw on the screen. And um, this, this just this crescendo of a day where we come walking back in here and we, we see uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of more families than we're used to seeing on a Sunday. And... Many of them, we, we see them at the events of our church, but they don't attend our church. And so it's just a great, um, you know, time to, to get to know people and to, to see people walked right into the kingdom because they're, they're, they're coming maybe because it's Easter, but then Jesus has a whole other plan and grabs a hold of them and a lot of people get saved. And last year, that was just very different. Um, I remember standing here in this room and we, we never said no to anybody who came on our property during the stay-home order. Figured if God told them they didn't have to stay home, we're not going to tell them they don't have to stay home. And so there were people in here that just came in, but it was a, it was a different day. And to finish that first service, uh, even in the morning, we'd have these you know, massive breakfasts that we would have in between the sunrise service and our Easter services. And it was just, it was just such a different day. Day And I remember saying, Lord, never again. Uh, I believe when you put this calling in my heart, it was a calling to shepherd people, not just to teach them in front of a camera. There are people that are called to radio ministry and TV ministry, but if you wanted me there, you would have given me a huge pompadour, and I don't have that. And So I, I just have a heart for people, and I want to be the people. So um, my prayer that day was, Lord, never again. Never again. May we never have a resurrection celebration apart from the body of Christ. And so I am really excited about uh, all all of what God is doing right now, but especially as we're looking towards uh, this Passion Week. And so we got flyers out there, get the word out. And, uh, you know, the tent, um, I got a, 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 well, anyway, I got a call from one of the the guys who come here, works at the city, he's like, hey, are you guys going to keep the tent up? And I'm like, well, is this a city call or a friend call? And um, he's like, it's a friend call. And I'm like, yeah, we're going to just keep it up. We're just, as long as the Lord, great, we want to see it up too. And I'm all great. So let's just see God continue to use that as well. So, um, you know, last night 
was a, a, another humbling night, I know, for me, and if for you guys that were here as well, we had our um, kickoff for our, our men's ministry. Um, you know, when, when, when COVID hit, uh, you know, almost a year ago now, it, it affected all of our lives. It affected every ministry that, you know, we have seen God bless and grow and develop. And over the years, it affected all of them. And, <clears throat> excuse me, chokes me up even to think about it. But a, a lot of the, the in-person ministry that God had called us to be um, and to launch and to facilitate, it just, it was put on hold. And a lot of it was put on hold because we just knew so little about the virus and we just really didn't feel comfortable uh, having a lot of people in certain settings. Uh, and so we just said, okay, we're going to put everything you know, on hold, and we went to the online forum, and we did all of our teaching online. We continued everything we were doing, we continued to do online. And, and then, of course, parking lot services and prayers, all of that in the past. And then it was encouraging to me to see so many pe people reach out and say, when are we going to start the men's ministry back up, the women's ministry, the children's ministry, all these various ministries um, that we've had. And, and, and it was hard to put that stuff on hold. It really was. But part of it was we didn't understand what was going on with the virus. And then part of it was there was so few people coming around. And it was like, well, a lot of the leaders aren't here. And, and, and so we just need to give some time for God to speak to people's hearts. And we're not going to get ahead of him. We were seeking him. He was giving us vision. We were pivoting with that vision. He was giving us wisdom and favor and health. And, and so you know, we really are blessed the way God helped us navigate through uh, all of those months from the stay home order to, you know, churches uh, having the opportunity and being called essential. We always knew we were essential, but that helped some people come back around. But over these last few weeks, it's been exhilarating to see uh, on our Sunday mornings, especially just more and more people coming back around. And we just felt it was time to start uh, our men's ministry, which was, uh, for a lot of you that have been here or even watching online, you knew uh, over the years that God had really blessed that ministry. And uh, a lot of our men's ministry, women's ministry, and even on our Wednesday nights, we really, we believe we cultivated a relational approach to ministry, and it became very relational. How many of you guys remember when we had every first Wednesday of the night Acts 242, our 242 nights where you walked in and it was around tables and we had dozens and dozens and dozens of all of our leaders here with their wives hosting those tables. Those came to a crashing halt. When people don't come, it's hard to, to facilitate that. But all of that really created a unique relational ministry overall. Um, that trickled into our men's ministry and our women's ministry and the small groups. And uh, with our, our men's ministry, we had uh, a number of, of different groups, uh, the retired guys, the business guys, the single guys, the married guys, all these different groups. We had a downline of discipleship that really got a lot of traction. And we noticed that on our men's events, when we have a men's event, that those just grew exponentially. Um, I know a lot of ministries focus on the event, get a lot of people out, and, and, and look at the event to, you know, grow the, the, the ministry, you might say, the overall church. We were more like, 
Let's get to know the individual. Let's help that individual get grounded in the word. Let's help them get connected to other individuals in the body of Christ and see what God does with that. And so uh, that really grew. God used that to grow our church over the years. And when those in-person small groups were not meeting, that was of concern to me. Not the fact that it helped grow our church uh, numerically, but the fact that it, it grew us spiritually and relationally. And so I was very concerned at how long people would be okay in our church uh, having that on hold. And so last night to see this place filled up with men and, and you know, we do know that a good smoke barbecue draws them in, okay? But just honestly, it, it just does. Um, but loving men, being transparent with men and, and sitting across from them. This is how Jesus approached ministry. He took 12 guys on a three-and-a-half-year walk and poured into them. And, and so radically was their life changed that they would be used to change the whole Roman Empire through the people that they would touch. And so uh, last night, there were so many guys here. I was like, oh, this was way over the top that what I expected. But that being said... Um, the Lord had put it on our heart to begin a Bible study with our men on the topic of grace. And we, we chose uh, a book that Pastor Chuck wrote called Why Grace Changes Everything. And so last night I did uh, half of my Bible study on the topic of grace with the men. And uh, so today I woke up and I just was, I'm just going to tell you, I was just exhausted uh, I, I wasn't in a Song of Solomon, prepare that Bible study, finish that Bible study, teach that Bible study mood. Uh, it wasn't that love wasn't in the air. I still love Lori. She still loves me. It's not that. But sometimes you just feel like the Lord, like something was fully baked and, and you were only able to serve half of it up. And you're like, I've got something more to say. And I believe that's the heart of God. And so I wanted to um, finish that Bible study because there's really no other setting to give it other than right now. So, but, um, so, you know, for you guys that like to take some notes, I'm going to give you just a couple of highlights that we started in. I talked about the grace of God, and I really um, focused on three things, and I only got to, to hit a couple of them. But um, looking at grace in the Bible, we considered three things. One was just a proper understanding of God's grace. And then number two, how God's grace is designed to work in us, that specifically as it relates to salvation. And then number three, how God's grace is designed to work through us. And so a proper understanding of God's grace, let me just give you the Reader Digest version of where we went last night. But, um, you know, the general idea behind the word grace is favor. We think about that from an individual, or we think about that from God as far as examples in the Word of God. We have men showing favor or grace to other men. We have those examples in the Bible. Um, and then we have, of course, the more supreme example, and that's the example of God showing his favor, uh, displaying his favor, offering his favor uh, to mankind. And when we think about that, it, the idea behind that is benevolence, um, kindness, and when we 
attribute that or connect that to God, the grace of God, it goes to a, a whole other realm. Because tied to the grace of God is the power of God, the enabling of God. And man doesn't have that. I don't have, in that sense, the, the ability to save you. I don't have the ability to forgive you. I don't have the ability to impart gifts to you. I don't have the ability to empower the gifts that you have. But all of that is tied to God and his grace. And so it's important that we understand the source of biblical grace and, and as it relates to our salvation, as it relates to our sanctification, and as it relates to our ser- service. We, 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 we connect that all back to God. And we talked about when we connect the word grace to God, a good like just side note in that is it's the undeserved, unmerited favor of God. Whenever God is bestowing his grace towards Human beings, he's bestowing his grace towards fallen, (laughs) depraved, undeserving sinners, okay? Now, we might be saved sinners here, but we're still undeserving of all that God would bestow upon us by um, by when it comes to his grace. So, So keep that in mind. Also, we talked about the fact that Grace is part of the nature of God. As as the Bible would say, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. God will never not be light. As the Bible says, God is love. God will never not be love. God is love. God is light. God is also grace. It's part of his nature. It's part of who he is. In in 1 Peter 5.10, Peter calls God the God of all grace. And this attribute of God, grace, is, is revealed. It's not just something that we look at and recognize and go, well, God is grace. No, God who is grace reveals and demonstrates and imparts his grace to us that are undeserving. Fact of the matter is, speaking of Jesus, I was, I was doing some research just on like the origin of grace and all of that, and I, I just stumbled upon a verse. I was reading through the Gospel of Luke, and, and, and I was like, you know, what, what do we really have in those like pre-ministry years? You know, we're going through it on Sunday as well. And I just stumbled upon this verse, and I thought it was really cool. In Luke 2.40, it talks about Jesus when he's still like a little guy with Joseph and Mary. And it says, And the child, capital C, grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. I just think that was so cool. One of the scriptures I, I referenced as um, I began to meet with some groups that are going to mentor and, and downline some of the studies that we have. They're going to take it downline to others, other guys and other groups. I um, was meeting with them, and I, refer, I, refer, excuse me, I referenced the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 14, where it's speaking of Jesus, and it says, And the Word became flesh 
John is, of course, talking about the deity of Jesus, helping us understand that he is God. He's right out of the chute in the Gospel of John. The word became flesh, dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Okay, so when they, they looked at Jesus and beheld his glory, what did they see? The glory as of the only begotten of the Father. He's the Son of God, full of grace and truth. And, 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 and of his fullness we have all received. It's not just something we saw when we saw him as God, who is just like full of grace and truth. But, but he's like, and of his fullness we've received. And it says, and grace for grace. So the God that we know, the, the, the Alpha and the Omega, the God who has always been and forever will be, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God, the triune God that we studied on Sunday morning, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, God the Father sends his Son to take on flesh. John's like, he dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. And the one really cool thing that stood out when we looked at him was this. Grace and truth. And he would even say in, in, in verse 17, because to the Jew, to the Jew that, that just held in such high regard the prophets, especially Abraham, the father of faith, and Moses, the giver of the law, and that's what their life was all about, they looked up and it was like, if you said the word Moses, you said the word law. You saw law. If you thought about Moses, you thought about the law. But when they saw, you beheld the law, you saw that. But when you listen to them talk about Jesus and what they saw and what they beheld, he's like, yeah, the, the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. We beheld the law when we think about Moses, but we beheld grace when we looked at Jesus. And so when the Bible talks about the grace of God, it, it does define grace as far as being part of his nature. It's an attribute of God. But it's also this unmerited favor, part of his nature and whatnot. It's, again, it's, it's that which he extends to human beings. We talked about this last night with all the guys. No matter how jacked up we are. No matter how lost we are, man. Because there's always someone that and I believe every time we're giving a Bible study, there's always someone that goes, yeah, but if you only knew how bad I was. If you only really knew how far out there I am. As if their sin is beyond the reach of God's grace. As if they and their lifestyle or whatever is beyond the reach of God's grace. It's not. It's, it's, just, it's just not. That's why Paul, when he speaks of God's grace in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7, he talks about the exceeding riches of God's grace. He speaks of God's grace in Ephesians 3.8 as the unfathomable. It's like, it's, it's, it's this crazy, it's beyond our ability to even get our minds wrapped around the idea of God's grace. Peter talks about the manifold grace of God in 1 Peter 4.10. It's beyond measure. That's the idea. It's beyond measure. And if God did not extend his grace to us, if it was just part of his nature, but it wasn't something that he extended to us, we would never have our lives altered by his grace. But we have. 
And then the second point that we, we had covered was that just, you know, the, the fact that, okay, God is grace. He extends that grace. And really, I, I would say that the most significant thing that God would ever do in your life or my life when it comes to extending his grace to us is, is saving us. Amen. Every, amen. Every human being born on this planet is in need of God's grace. Everyone. Whether they admit it or not, everyone is born a sin, sinner with a sinful nature. Our sin has separated us. We who are unrighteous in that fallen state of depravity, our sin has separated us who are unrighteous from a holy, righteous God. And in that fallen, depraved state, we were subject to the wrath of God. What's that mean? The penalty of our sin. We were subject to the judgment of God. Ephesians 2, Paul described our condition before we were saved. He's, you know, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. And, and it says, we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh. This is pre-Christ, pre-conversion, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of our mind. And were by nature in that fallen, sinful, depraved state, children of wrath, just like all other non-believers, subject to the wrath of God, the judgment of God. In our natural fallen state, if we agree with what the Bible says we are, all sinners that fall short of the glory of God, uh, in Romans 3.23, in our natural fallen state, we would agree with what the Bible says, that yes, what we deserve is the wrath of God or the judgment of God. And I know that's not a popular thing to, to hear today in what I believe will go down in history, however much human history there ever is behind us or however much is yet to be lived before of us. I believe this generation will be seen throughout eternity as the most thin-skinned generation to ever live on the planet Earth. Talk about being sensitive. And so I, I, I'm not going to get into the whole political thing, but I, you get my point. And so it's becoming less and less popular to open up our Bibles and to read God's assessment of us in our fallen state. It's becoming politically incorrect. It's like, how, how dare you make fun of me? We can't even, my, my dad gave me the sticks and stones, break my bones. He gave me that talk when I was like three. And he's like, just take it. Just remember who you is. And you'll never have to worry about what people say. And when you gain that security from a father-son relationship, from a parent relationship, and then they introduce you to Christ and you gain a secure identity in your relationship with Christ, you don't care what people say about you. Doesn't, it, 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 it's okay. Then when you begin to read the word of God and you begin to understand what your creator actually had to say in his word about who you were before you met him, it's okay to agree with that. It's the person in, in need that says, I'm, I'm really messed up here. I, I really need help. I'm a sinner in need of forgiveness and Savior. It's the person that, that, <clears throat> excuse me, that realizes 
There is a real penalty to sin, and they don't want to face that. It's the sinner that says, man, there's a real penalty. There's a, the wages of sin is death, Paul would go on to say in Romans 6.23. The world today doesn't want to hear that. Don't you dare call me. Don't you tell me I'm wrong, let alone I'm a sinner, and that there's a wage to that. The world doesn't want to hear that, but the Bible clearly says that. Who says that? A loving God that wants to do something about that which separates you from him. A loving, gracious, benevolent, kind God that is forgiving. That just loves us enough to go, this is wrong in you. You were born that way. And I love you enough to tell you and to help you understand that. So that you will want to come to me and allow me to do something about that. I don't want you to face my wrath. I don't want you to face my judgment. That's a loving God that would say that. So he did something about that. God in his goodness, he offered himself to the undeserving. <laughs> That's grace. It's God's grace that makes our salvation possible. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, Paul would say in Ephesians 1, 7 and 8. And then he would go on to say there in Romans 2, excuse me, Ephesians 2, to those who were dead in trespasses and sins, so we are Christians now, if we're the church, of, uh, the church there in Ephesus that are receiving this letter, we're going, okay, yeah, we were that. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We, we, we were walking according to the course of this world. We were conducting ourselves in the lust of the flesh. We're agreeing, yes, that's what we were. We were children of wrath, subject to the wrath of God in that fallen, depraved state. But then comes verse 4. But God, who is rich in his mercy, what is mercy? Not getting what you deserve. Because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were in that fallen state, dead in our trespasses and sin. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you are saved. He's raised us up. And it says that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. And he repeats it. For by grace you're saved, Lance. It's through faith. All you did is you put faith in my son. It's not of yourself, not of your, your works or yourself. It is a gift of God. If it was of your works, you'd run around and boast about that. But it's not. It's the work that Jesus accomplished on the cross. So salvation is a gift of God to undeserving, unrighteous Sinners, our sin must be forgiven by God. Our sin must be forgiven by him. And the penalty of sin must be dealt with by God. But God, by his grace, he forgives us, he deals with the penalty of sin, and he saves us and makes us his own. That's humbling. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. You know what that tells me? It's God's desire that we become trophies of his grace. Not just recipients of his grace, but trophies of his grace. People would see the radical effects of grace. 
people would see the change. No longer dead, no longer blind, no longer lost, no longer meandering around, no longer fulfilling the lust of our flesh. But now, saved. New creations. His own. So, a proper understanding of God's grace, how God's grace is designed to work in us, and then how God's grace is designed to work through us. In 1 Timothy 1, 12-16, Paul would say, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly, Paul would say, a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man, but I obtained mercy <laughs> because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. He's like, that, I was just lost. This Pharisee of Pharisee who was out persecuting Christians and murdering Christians and incarcerating Christians, he did a whole lot against Christ and the followers of Christ. And then he would say in verse 14, and the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant. With faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. It's a faithful saying and worthy of acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, Paul says, of whom I am chief. However, for this reason, I obtain mercy. However, for this reason, because the grace of the Lord was exceedingly abundant towards me, I, I, I deserved judgment. I deserved punishment. God could have looked at me and said, you are, you're, you're toast. When Jesus met Paul on the Damascus road, what did he say? Saul, Saul. Before he was converted, he was Saul. Why are you persecuting me? Right then, that is the mercy of God, and because and, God could have just like, he showed a, Jesus showed up in a bright light. It could have been a bolt of lightning, and there was the horse and just this big old smoking left of Saul left on the saddle. But he didn't give him what he deserved. That's mercy. And then the grace of God was seen in the heart of Jesus when he's like, hey, Saul, Hasn't it been hard? So he, he just graciously turns his focus towards those days and those times where he knew it was hard for Saul to watch Christians not deny Christ. That's the grace of God. Wasn't it hard for you to kick against the goats? And so it was at that point, I believe, when God began to, to just bless him with wooing his heart and convicting him and just reminding him of those times where God knew, Jesus knew it was hard on him. Somewhere in there, Saul's heart opened up and he began to see who Jesus was and conversion took place. That's the grace of God. The grace of God that leads to salvation. And oftentimes we teach what Paul said about 
grace leading to salvation. And oftentimes we miss that whole point when we're talking about his conversion. That same grace that he talks about that for by grace you are saved. It's not through works. He too experienced that grace. And that's where he experienced that grace on the Damascus Road. And it went from like, I'm going to persecute anyone who even names the name of Christ or becomes a follower of Christ to now encountering Christ and seeing him now as he was, as God, as the Messiah. And now, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? That's, that's grace and mercy. Just like on display. It's the grace of God working through his life to, to convert him. And immediately, there's this whole, you know, like, plan of God. I always like to say, when God saves us, he saves us with a purpose in mind. And immediately, God began to speak to Saul, who would become Paul, about the plan that he would have for him. That's just the grace of God. And so, Paul, when he's talking here in 1 Timothy chapter 1, he's like, it's a faithful saying. It's worthy of all acceptance that Jesus Christ, he came into this world to save sinners of whom I am the chief for this reason. The grace of the Lord becoming exceedingly abundant. I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting He's like, I, I, I would become a trophy of his grace and of his mercy. Every one of us that are here tonight, as I said to the guys last night, every one of us who are saved, God's grace was sufficient enough to work in us salvation. Amen? Amen. And his grace has been sufficient enough to change us from what we were to what we are. Amen. As his word, as his spirit continues to work through us. That's the grace of God. In Acts chapter 11, verses 22 through 24, I love studying this church, the church of Antioch. It says that when Barnabas was sent... It says about the church of Antioch that he saw the grace of God and was glad. What did he see? What was it that he saw? It says, then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. They sent Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. And when he came, he had seen the grace of God. He was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue in the Lord. What did he see? Jesus. The law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. He was glad. It's like, you guys should just, I see the Lord. You should continue with the Lord. And for he was a man that was full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So each time I've taught this in missions conferences and leaders conferences and stuff, I'm like, what, what did he see? And if he were to come to our church, if Barnabas was, were to walk in here, would he go, wow, I see the grace of God on display and I am glad. Oh, just continue in the Lord. 
if he walked into your house? I don't know, on a Monday morning, on a Monday night, after a, a good day or a bad day, what would Barnabas see? If he walked into you as a couple, you're, you were going through Song of Solomon, so let's have a marriage moment here. If he looked and he saw your marriage, what would he see? If he looked at this year and just looked at our church, a lot of you are new, but just you that are online or you that might be listening to this study, what would he see? What would he see when he looked here on a Sunday as people gathered, on a Wednesday night? What would he see in homes? What would he see? I was talking to a, 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 a lot of guys showed up last night that we haven't seen in a long time. And they, you know, when you get to talking to them, we're watching you every week online. We're still here, but we're just not ready. And, and I just want to be honest with you. There's, in my heart, I want to ask, I just want to ask the question. You're not ready for what? But in my heart as well, the Lord has not given me that kind of a heart. He's like, just I'll, let me work on them. I don't need you and your questioning. And I just, I just remain silent. Just, just when people are like, yeah, and I just, part of that's just, it's grace. Just be gracious. And I, I realize that the Holy Spirit does a way better job of convicting people, better than any of us. Amen? Amen. We're good at condemning, but the conviction part, I don't know. But I, I've noticed when when, you know, they, they have something to say. They want to let you know. And uh, two or three people the last few services, they come up and, and, and they've said the same thing. They're just like, you know, we didn't realize it, but it was this subtle just life change. We just set new habits. And all of a sudden, you know, there was a reason to not go to church and, and go to in-person services. We, you know, completely stay home ordered, all that and whatnot. And then all of a sudden, when the church just was open, we just got into the pattern. They were saying just the, the routine. And now we're not, we're not church-going people. And that was our prayer early on, is that don't let this thing shipwreck people's faith. And don't let you know, them become like just so distant and so estranged where they just start new lifestyles. Now, I say all of that to say, what do you think they need to see? What would, what would make Barnabas glad if he's watching that conversation unfold between maybe some of us that are coming around here and have been coming around here and those that haven't? It would be Jesus on display. It would be grace on display. It would be just that. And I believe that there's something very attractive about the grace of God when it is put on display in our lives, not just the fact that we're converted and we're no longer what we were, we're now new creations in Christ. That's amazing. All the stuff that grieved the heart of God is no longer marking our lives, it's no longer the practice of our life, and all of the things that now please the heart of God, you know, people see that. They see the change, the change with our speech, our attitude, our conduct, uh, what we do with our time, our decisions, our values. They see all of that. But as it relates to the church, 
This is a church, a church in Antioch. And when Barnabas saw that, he's like, I saw the grace of God on display with them, and I was glad. When we went into this year, and I think this is an appropriate time to tie grace into maybe what we've been through and what we're going through, I, um, I, was, I was really taken back by a few things. I was completely blown away at how, how well our church pivoted. I really was. I was, I was the online listenership, the, the prayer support, the, the giving, all of what let us know people were still with us was humbling. And anytime we did anything, the, the drive up prayer meetings and anytime we needed help, when we, we were able to roll out our disaster relief ministry and, and, and bless the community and do all of the porch ministry, which we're still doing and all of that, the, the amount of people that showed up was humbling. It was just, it was just completely humbling. And, and, and so we knew that, that God was in this, but I was talking to the staff pastors after a few weeks of this, and I'm like, we have no drama. We have no drama. When churches go through significant change, you have drama. You just do. You, you have change in your house, right, people? Drama. We had none. We had none. And we would sit around and, and, and just be amazed at how God was gracing us because we were personally going through our own challenges and changes within our marriages and our families. And then we were assuming all of this new change that everyone was going through as leaders in the church. And the love and the support and the, the grace that was extended from the body of Christ with all of the changes made us glad. We were blessed. And part of that is what grace does. Part of that is just, you know, it's, it's, it's what grace is. It's benevolent. It's kind. It's, it's gracious. And when we are displaying that towards one another in the church, people see that. And I believe that was part of what Barnabas saw when he looked at this church. Listen, he saw people that were past themselves. That's what drama is in the church. It's, it's people not getting past themselves. It's people making circumstances about themselves. That's what drama is in a church. That's what issues are in a church. People can't get past themselves. It's all about me. It's all, it's all about... And, and, and there would be those people that really had a hard time with COVID and, and, and they would surface with time and, and they weren't real gracious towards us and they made it all about themselves and why isn't the church doing this and why isn't the church... There were a couple of those people, but they were the exception. They were just like, wow, that's strange. For months we haven't seen anybody you know, put anything on us. But that's what grace does. Grace humbles you. Grace leaves you completely like, I don't deserve anything. <laughs> well, a proper understanding of God is going to lead you to a proper understanding of grace. It's going to lead you to a proper understanding of who you are in relation to God and who you are in relation to the body of Christ. It's going to leave you humble and grateful. And it's going to put you in a benevolent posture. 
Not going to receive me and take care of me and baby me and here's my temper tantrum if you don't. It's going to put you, grace makes you benevolent when grace begins to work through you. Because grace is benevolent. You know, when you think about the early church and what made up the early church, we are as diverse as a church as we've ever been because we have so many new people that we don't know and they're coming from so many different backgrounds. But the early church, I think they were even more diverse. They were more challenged with their diversity. They came from all kinds of backgrounds. And for the most part, if you study the backgrounds of the people that would have walked into the early church, none of them would have had anything to do with, with grace. They wouldn't have understood it. They wouldn't have had it taught. If you were a Jew that happened to come around a Christian or a Christian church, you, you, you knew nothing of the grace of God. You might go back and study the life of, of Noah and say, oh, he found grace in the eyes of God. But as far as the New Testament understanding of grace as it came through Jesus and how that works in you for conversion and, and works through you as far as benevolence and as far as in Romans 12, it says, by measure of God's grace, we've all been given spiritual gifts. All of our gifts in the church are a result of God's grace being bestowed upon our life. The word gift comes from the word charisma. The word charisma at the front of it is charis. Charis is the word grace. So all of our gifts, all, all that, that, that we have is from, you know, from God, this God of grace. It's connected to his grace. So the Jews, when they would have come to the church, that would have been so foreign to them to see a benevolent God who would be bestowing forgiveness. And the Jew would have to line up with that and, and recognize that now the forgiveness of God is to be, be received by virtue of, it's a gift. They grew up learning that to be right standing with God, have their sins atoned, that was something they worked for. So the idea of grace, the unmerited favor of God, that was foreign to a Jew. And, and to the Jew that would come into the new church, they would be the kind of person that would be work-based. They would be the kind of person that was working to gain their own righteousness. They saw themselves as more righteous than others. So the average Jew that would have come into the church would have been like, hey man, look at all of what I've been doing to gain right standing with God. They would have their list. And as we even talked about this a little bit last night, once you've set your own standards, nobody is close to you in the standards that you keep. No one. Now you think you read? Let me tell you how much I read. And then I begin to judge you by my standards. Not the standard of God, but by my standards. I've earned this. I've, I've gained this. I've worked for this. And so what comes with that? A critical spirit towards others. Condescending spirit towards others. A hyper-spirituality. I'm up here and everybody else is down, down there. Just like the, the, the illustration that Jesus gave where the tax collector and the Pharisee both came into the temple to pray. The, the, the Pharisee is standing there going, I'm glad I'm not like all these other heathens around here. That's what legalism does. It creates pride and arrogance. You look down at everybody. Look at what I've achieved. Tax collector, he's like just sitting here beating his chest going, <laughs> I'm undone. <laughs> and one went down justified. One left there justified and it wasn't the Pharisee. 
Who else would have made up the early church? Pagans. If you weren't a Jew practicing Judaism, then you were living in Rome, in the Roman Empire, and you would have been raised and exposed to all of the pagan gods, all of the Roman gods, all of the Greek gods. And they completely infiltrated the culture. You would have been raised as a young man, a young lady, to look at marriage in a very different way than we look at marriage as the body of Christ today. It was sensual. It was immoral. It was evil. It, 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 was, it, it, was, uh, it was very different. Very different from the Jews. So you have one who comes in and would think that any kind of immorality or wickedness or unrighteous living was completely justified. Look at my parents. Look at my brothers and sisters. Look at this is just who we are. We're sensual. And that's what the culture taught us. That's what the culture applauds, much like the culture today. So they would have come in and they would have made a part of the population in the church. And you would have the Jews who would have been looking down at them going, I can't believe you're doing They'd have been condescending and critical towards all their sin. What could have possibly united those two extreme groups? You had so many dividing issues among culture, just the way that men looked at women, the way that slaves looked at their masters, the way that masters looked at slaves. What could have possibly allowed the body of Christ to form and be united in the Roman Empire? The law? Absolutely not. That would have divided everybody from Judaism and even separated the Jews in their posturing towards one another. Immorality? All of the sensuality from all of the pagan religions? No, that's why they had so many formed gods after their own imagination. They're just chasing after the next god. So that, that doesn't bring you together. It pulls you apart. What brought them together? The grace of God. The grace of God is what conquered them. The grace of God was greater than anything that divided them, anything that separated them. A pagan God was to be feared and appeased. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of love. The God of grace. Did not need to be appeased. He needed to be received. The pagans in their minds thought, I've got to appease this God or he's going to judge me. He's going to judge me for whatever. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob looked at all of our failures and he, took on, he told his son, you go down, take on flesh, and you take every sin that any human will ever create and you're going to bear that upon you. God has a righteous anger that needs to be appeased, but his righteous anger is not aimed at you. It's aimed at that which separates you from him. And in a measure of grace, God sent his son and he went to the cross, and he died on the cross, and he became what the theological term is propitiation and atonement for our sin. And he dealt with the penalty, and he forgave us, and he removed that which separated us from us, from him. That God does not to be, need to be appeased. That God 
deserves to be loved back. Very different. To the Jews that would come into the church, and many of them were saved, the whole book of Hebrews was written to Jews who were running back to Judaism. They're running away from what they found in Christ back to Judaism. The whole book of Hebrews was, that with, was written with that in mind. The book of Galatians was written to Jews, some of them in the church, some of them not yet in the church, but family members. But it was written to the Jews, with the, the Jews in mind, that were trying to understand a righteousness that could be received versus a righteousness that would be earned. So the whole book of Galatians is written to the churches in Galatia with Jews in mind who are still wrestling with the idea of, like, the grace of God. So much so that Paul would, 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 would say in, in, in Galatians 5, you know, beginning there in verses 1, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made you free, and don't be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. They were struggling with the understanding of God's grace. He's like, you, you, you say that if you become circumcised, it'll profit you. If you keep this part of the law, it's somehow going to profit you. No, he says, Christ, it will profit you nothing as Christians. And then he would say, you are trying to keep the law. You've got to keep the whole law. And if you break one part of the law, you've broke the law. It profits you nothing. He was just being logical. And he goes, but you have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by the law. And then he says, you have fallen from grace. For the legalist, Paul would say, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. A proper understanding of God's grace leads you humble, grateful, and yielded to God in all that he wants to impart to you as a measure of his grace. You know, years ago, Pastor Chuck, I'd met him on, on a few occasions. I'd had a few meetings with him. Uh, I, I was on a couple of councils that were helping some churches go through some difficult times, and I got to know him. But there was a time when I had some health issues. I wasn't able to, to teach for a season, and, and, and just an interesting time. And his secretary called the church on a Friday, and they put her through to me, and I knew her, and she goes, hey, Pastor Lance, you know, Chuck's here, and, and, and he, he, he would like to teach at your church on Sunday. Well, it's a Friday. I'm like, oh, okay. But what shocked me is it was Good Friday. I mean, I'm sorry, it was Palm Sunday. Good Friday would be the Friday after. And I thought, this is very interesting. And so we didn't have time to announce it, so nobody knew he would be here. It was Friday afternoon, late. But I knew he'd be here, and I called a few people. Pastor Chuck's going to be here on Sunday. No, he's not going to be there on Sunday. Last year. Yeah, he's going to be here on Sunday. And, and Pastor Chuck 
was raised in the Foursquare Church, went to Bible school, Life Bible College, became a Foursquare pastor. I was raised in a Foursquare Church. All of my friends were groomed around me to go to Life Bible College and to go into ministry, my brother. I was like, this, this just wasn't for me. And, and, and the reason it wasn't for me was I, I was in the, the surf culture and I wanted my friends to come to church. I wanted them to meet Jesus in my church. And in the early 70s, there was just a big focus in our churches that we were going to on, on the outward appearance. Dress, dress length was important for the girls. Hair length was important for the guys. Just the outward thing. And, and, and they made a pretty big deal out of it. And there was a, they would never say that they were pushing us to kind of do things for God, do this, don't do that. Was, but there was a, a push for that. And almost every Sunday night there was the call for repentance. And, you know, and I always joke about it. If you, they'd even, like, if you had bad thoughts this week, well, pfft, I got a bad thought right now towards you for calling me out again. You know, I mean, you know, what do you do? So we're always going up and repenting and repenting and repenting. I just was in this, man, my hair length might be wrong. And the clothes that I wear, I, I was never allowed to go to, to movies all through high school. Movies and pool halls and all, none of that. No parties, no dances. All through elementary school, they'd have the Sadie Hawkins dance. Not the cook boys. You know, that's, that's of the devil. Everything was of the devil. And so it was very, what I would say, looking back on it, it was very legalistic. God knew what he was doing to keep me on the straight and narrow. But it was the whole, don't smoke, don't chew, do not go out with girls who do. It was just this, just stay away from all that stuff. And it was in junior high where I'll never forget one of the, the, the high school guys came driving up and we'd all, you know, we're at church all the time. You had to be involved. We were serving and family was all in. And he began to talk about a church, a four square church where the Foursquare pastor went rogue. I didn't know what that was, but I wanted to know. I'm like, that sounds cool. What is that? Said, hey, he's not, he's, he's, he like bell down the Foursquare. He did. Why did he do that? Yeah, you know, he, he just, he, he, he like, he, he set up a tent down by the beach and all the surfers are coming. I was a surfer and, and, and all the girls are coming and, you know, the girls, that they're just, they're, they're kind of like just, and in my mind, I'm like, I think it's in seventh grade, I'm like, I, I think God wants me to go to that church. <laughs> and so the pastor's son, and we were really close, and so we, we would get to church early on Wednesday nights, real early, and some of the high schoolers guys were like, we're going to sneak out. We're going down to that church. And I'm like, I'm going. And I got in the car, Lance, do your parents know? Yeah, 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 they're cool. Don't worry, you know, they're here. My brother, we're like, don't say nothing, man. And we went down to Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. Pulled up, there was a tent. I saw cars with surfboards on top. I walked in, sure enough, a lot of cute girls. I was like, I'm in heaven. And here was Pastor Chuck. This bald-headed guy. Everyone else had long hair. Not him, he had no hair. And he sat on a stool and he just read this long portion of scripture with this big old smile. And then he just said a few things, read a few more scriptures. And I felt the Holy Spirit move in that tent. And then they did this worship. Before then, I'd only heard hymns. 
And they just, hippies got up, and I'm like, so I remember this something different, something free. And it, and it was, I felt God there. And from that point on, I wanted my friends to experience that because I knew they'd found something that would be attractive to them and it would change their life. I didn't know it at the time, but it was grace. And later on over the years, as I would then get a little bit older and start going to all the conference concerts and I began to see this and I, I heard a lot of teaching on grace. And Pastor Chuck was always, always 100% gracious towards what he came out of. He never talked it down, never just, just almost where you're guessing, why did he really leave that, you know? But he always spoke with grace because it was a, a grasp of God's grace that changed this saved man from being very legalistic to no longer being legalistic. And it was the grace of God that so altered him that would allow him to see these hippies and not judge them for their long hair. To see them walk in with no shoes. When they first built the first sanctuary, they put new carpeting in, and all the ushers who just weren't real gracious were really upset with Chuck. They're like, the guys are coming in with shoes, and they need to take off their or they need to put on shoes before they come in. He goes, rip up the carpeting. That's grace. Just, we're going to love them and accept them like they are. And that's why you, you see all of these churches that were birthing out of there. You take a young guy like Greg Laurie, who was 17, just this long-haired, crazy, cartoonist kind of guy. And he's like, I just, you know, I just feel like God wants to use me. And Chuck's like, praise God. That's grace. Next thing you know, he's in Riverside of all places. And Rawls in, you know, West Covina. And Greg's in Downey. And Mike's in San... These guys were, they weren't in their sound mind, man. And Chuck's like, just go for it. Mike didn't even have a mind that he knew of. Still kind of question part of that. But you can just go down through the list all the way to where when our surf shop Bible study was taking off, Rawl and Jeff and these other guys were displaying that same expression of grace towards me. Like, just go for it, man. I'm like, what are you talking about? I got a business. I got... They were just, they just saw something and believed and entrusted the unmerited favor of God. They said, just go for it. And it was all of the grace of God that was being infused through them towards me and, 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 and our Bible study that just welled up within me to where when Pastor Chuck said he wanted to be here, I'm like, I can't wait to get him in the green room. I just can't wait. And in the green room, I took pictures of the three pastors that I had set underneath in the Four Square Church. I took their pictures. I had them in my office. And it kind of goes through that to Pastor Rawl and Pastor Chuck. Just got these, these are the people that God used in my life. And I put them there and I didn't say anything. And he sits there. And Chuck doesn't say a lot when he's eating. He just really, we had some grub there for him. And he looked and he goes, oh, 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 Wayne and Mary Westberg. I went to Life Bible College with them. And he went through all of those pictures. And they were all classmates of his. I just sat there and listened to him. And I said, Chuck, I just, I just want to thank you. And I, I know it's God and all that, but you, you have no idea the path. And I, and I caught myself. I'm like, the path you were on and the path that your family was on is the path that I was on and the path that my family was on. 
Was I saved? Was I going to heaven? Yeah. But I couldn't get anybody to follow. And it's your grasp of grace that not only changed your life and the trajectory of your ministry, but it affected me and enabled me. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. And here we are, this many years later, the faithfulness of God, the grace of God and what he has done through us in the most challenging year of ministry prayerfully we'll ever have. (laughs) Everywhere we look, we see the grace of God, the unmerited favor of God at work. Don't lose sight of that. Don't lose your awe towards that. Whether it's God's grace relating to your conversion, how his grace played out in leading you to your spouse, granting you children, grandchildren, maybe great-grandchildren. It's the grace of God. If you're born again, you are a recipient of his grace. Life-altering, eternal, eternity-altering grace. Don't lose sight of that. If you're saved here, he's gifted you. By measure of grace. Go home and read Romans 12. Just, just read it and read it. By a measure of God's grace, he caressed you. It's charisma is a supernatural endowment of power. Isn't God's grace that saved you a supernatural endowment of his power? Amen. The same grace that saved you is the same grace that sustains you. In, in I, I didn't teach half of this, but I got some other scriptures in. <laughs> Where is it? My mind went blank. Titus. I'm going to finish with this because I have a zero. I don't know how long it's been there, but I have a zero. Let's all stand. That makes me stop. <laughs> Titus 2, 11 and 12. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It's for all men. But then grace does something more. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present age. When it comes to the penalty of our sin, God's grace is powerful enough to forgive us and to save us. When it comes to the power of sin in my life as a believer, God's grace also plays a role. Paul tells us that the investment of God's grace is sufficient enough to keep me from sin. Amen. And then, yes. And then in Romans 12, it's the measure of his grace that gifts us and empowers those gifts. 
Salvation, sanctification, and service. The grace of God. And so when people come here, they've got to see that. They've got to see the supernatural evidenced through conversion, sanctification, and service in all of that. And when that is happening, the focus is not me on me. The focus is me on him and you. And that's what Barnabas saw when he saw the grace of God and he was glad. When you see a Christian that's all sideways towards another Christian, their focus is not on God. It's not grace. That's the flesh and the law's coming out. And they'll They'll, they'll put expectation and the burden on others. That's why we see what we call in marriage, Christian marriages that don't work, unreconcilable differences. Oh, those differences are able to be reconciled if we take them to the throne and we let the God of grace deal with those issues. And it's the same thing in the body of Christ. You see people, and there will always be those people that will get upset with you or get upset with the church or get up with some. They've lost sight of God's grace. That's all. How it plays out, how it acts, how it, what it, it does in running them and, and just limiting them and, and separating them even from the body of Christ, that all ties into a misunderstanding of the character of God and his grace and what he designed grace to be in their life as far as it plays out with sanctification or uh, salvation, sanctification, or service. To see the grace of God in any three of those areas, to see that worked out on someone's life is to go, wow, God, I see you. I see your grace. God's grace has a look. And so does our work. So does our flesh. And if Barnabas would have went into the church of Antioch and saw all of these people who were doing all of what they do and boasting in all of what they do and see all the infighting that comes with that, he would not have been glad. He would have not have said, continue on in the Lord. But he didn't see that. And for us to move forward and for us to, to meld together in this melting pot called the church in a new season with so many new people with so many different backgrounds, we have got to understand, embrace the grace of God and let it be what it's designed to be in our lives. And then people are going to come into this place and be all Barnabas out. Go, I'm so glad. And I believe they are. But if Jesus grew in stature, he grew up and in wisdom and in grace, so must Amen? Amen? So, Lord, thank you for, I don't know, a couple of nights just going through this amazing topic of grace. We love you. Keep infusing your life into us. Help us, Lord, to continue growing in grace. We know that the, these areas where we grow are areas that we practice. We will, it's not going to just happen. It's not going to happen by us just getting more clarity in your word tonight on the topic of grace. That, that's huge. It starts there, maybe. But now we've got to 
practice this and live this out in order for us to grow in grace. So Lord, may we, may we do that. Help us, Holy Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Love you guys. We'll be back here on Sunday morning and we will finish up chapter one of the book of Acts. We'll see you.